Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Hello to my wonderful brothers and sisters. I greet you today in the name of our Lord and of his sovereign grace and his great mercy and his forgiveness, his encouragement and his great, great love. I do have a bit of a raspy voice as I've been dealing with a cold virus, so bear with me today. And we're going to dig into God's word together here in just a few minutes. But first, I do want to mention, as I mentioned for the first time last week, that with the costs of this brand new ministry, humble in its state, um, I am in need of some help. And therefore, I am opening this up to my brothers and sisters and asking you to consider prayerfully, please join me in prayer that God may be magnified and God may be adored and God may be cherished by more and more people as this ministry continues by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and also that you would prayerfully consider giving to this ministry financially, as there are costs associated, and I am in need of assistance, and I pray and I trust the Holy Spirit to provide for that. The new fundraising mechanism, or platform rather, is Patreon. And you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash into the word ministries, or you can visit the brand new website for into the word ministries, which is into the word.co. So different than com, this is into the word.co. So I invite you to visit that. It is a basic website, but it shares a little bit more about how this got started. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you are already familiar with that, that I feel it was God's call upon me to be led by the Holy Spirit and to humble myself and to serve myself, to glorify God by learning from him and to preaching so that we could all learn together what God has to say to each one of us, including myself. And by God's grace, we are all changed and we are all humbling ourselves, repenting of our sin, trusting more in the lordship and the kingship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and giving glory to God the Father, which Jesus models so perfectly in his life on earth and throughout the Gospels, that we might all glorify God together going to open in prayer, and then please turn with me in your Bible to Genesis 17 today. Wonderful God, our Father, the one who has from eternity past known us. You've known us, like David said, in our mother's womb. 
You know the hairs on every one of our head. You know our thoughts before we think them. You know our actions before we do them. You know our words before we speak them. You are great and mighty, O God. Your love is deep and it is it is inviting and it is encouraging. It is powerful and it is magnificent and it is majestic and it is of great attraction to us because your love is like no other love that we have ever known or we will ever know because your love is so great and so mighty. It's so compelling and so deep. It's so perseverant and so unrelenting. And one of the greatest needs of every human is forgiveness, God, and you are the one alone who grants forgiveness to every human, to each human who has sinned against you. If we receive your invitation, turn from our wickedness and set our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Savior and the sustainer of all your children, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Lead us, O God. May we be changed by the Holy Spirit and give glory and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords all of our days. For you alone are worthy of this. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Genesis 17. We started in Genesis 17 last week, and we will start again with verse 1 as we recap the passage from last week, which runs directly into this week's section. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And starting in verse 9 for this week, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. 
Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. So you have probably heard in multiple commentaries and perhaps in other sermons, the topic of what was the order between Abraham's belief in God, his trusting in God, and the circumcision. Paul talks about this later. Was it before he was circumcised, circumcised that he trusted God? Or was it afterwards? Was he justified after he was circumcised? Was it the action of circumcision that justified Abraham before God? And as we see here, and as we have read here, we know the timing. We know the difference between this. So this argument about was he justified only by the action? Was he declared righteous only by the action of circumcision? We know that is not the case. Let's look first at the examples of Abraham believing God. Right, we've spoken multiple times about how God called him out from the wilderness, out from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, from this pagan people. God led him out. This was at the start of Genesis 12. This was the initial call from God onto Abram. And Abram responds immediately in new faith in God. He responds in faith. He follows after God. And therefore, you would say, and I would say, and everyone would say, he believed God because he followed God. Let's go back and read this again because it is so powerful. This is the call from God to Abram. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He didn't even tell him where it was that he was calling him to go. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God called Abram for a purpose. And God also chose Abram. See, it wasn't that Abram was so great in and of himself, in and of his own, in a pagan people from a pagan city. God chose him. God said, I'm choosing you, I'm calling you, I'm calling you out, and I'm calling you to 
so that, see, he wasn't calling Abram, of course, he wasn't calling Abram so that Abram's name would be great for himself, for Abram's glory, or for Abram's renown, or or for Abram's fame in the world. Of course, that wasn't the reason. God is about God's glory. We are all God's servants. We are God's children. We are God's followers to worship God and to give God the glory. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God didn't call Abram out for Abram's namesake. God called Abram out so that he would be a blessing. So that in Abram, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Verse 3. Abram believed God again in chapter 15, verse 6. We read chapter 15 a few weeks ago. And let's start at 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Fear not. Do not fear. Do not fear. Fear is so pervasive in this world. Today, in 2023, and I'm quite sure, in the year of Abram, in chapter 15, and the Lord says, Fear not, Abram. Why? I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house as a lazier of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord in chapter 15. Abram had followed the Lord. Abram had trusted the Lord. And yes, he had sinned here and he had sinned there, but he had followed the Lord. He had walked the path that God was leading him down. And he followed him day after day, year after year. And it had been quite a while to this point in chapter 15. And then toward the end, of chapter 15, as the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And I think about the verses we just read where he said, God said to Abram, fear not. And then we see in this verse 12, that dreadful and great darkness fell upon Abram. And the Lord said to him, what did he say? He starts with this in verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring, not only is he saying to him, know for certain that you will have an offspring. You can take my word 
at my word. You don't need anything else than the fact that I said it. I am God Almighty. And when I speak, it is truth. But he also gives them a forward prophecy, a future prophecy. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then he goes on to say that Abram will have a peaceful life because those things are future tense. And this prophecy that they will go into slavery is not for any other reason than their disobedience before God. God is saying that there will be discipline among his offspring for their disobedience against God's covenant. But because God is loving and because God is just and because God is faithful to his covenant, he is going to bring them out of slavery. And skip down to verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he goes on to list the 10 tribes that currently occupy those lands. And God is going to drive them out and give the land to Abram and his offspring. And it is going to be an everlasting possession for them. There are other pagan tribes that occupy those lands. And how are those going to be taken? Those are going to be taken by force, led by the Lord, and given to those who worship God. You see that? These tribes, these 10 tribes, did not worship God. And because God is just, because God is faithful, because there is punishment for disobedience, and because there is reward for obedience, God says, for those who disobey me, for those who are against me, I'm going to take from them. And I'm going to give it to you. And this is the promised land. And then we see today in chapter 17, that Abraham now believes God in this call of the existing covenant, because he's already made the covenant with Abraham in chapter 15, when he was still known as Abram. And this is a mark of the covenant. This is a sign of the covenant with circumcision. So why circumcision? Circumcision is very popular in widespread culture today. It's not exclusive. It's hard to track exact statistics and figures. There are many, many, many men who are circumcised. Most when they are infants, most, well, most when they are newborns, actually. By Jewish tradition, it is on the eighth day, as we read here in today's text. And that is still followed, but not exclusively even in Judaism. 
because there are different sects of Judaism, and there are different traditions, and there are different practices, and it depends. And even in the Protestant church, there are different beliefs on circumcision. Is circumcision required today to be a Jew? No, not necessarily, because of what I just said. Is it required today for Protestants? No, not, not specifically, as the Bible articulates. And Paul addresses this later, and I'm not going to lengthen today's teaching by, by getting into everything that Paul talks about with regard to circumcision. You can look that up as well. But why circumcision? First, and I, and I believe the primary reason on this is like so many things in the Bible. The Ten Commandments, Sabbath. Well, why do we follow these different parts of the law, these different rules, these different commandments? Genesis 2. Why follow this first, primary? Because God said. Think about this for a moment. Do I respond in faithful obedience to God simply because he says so? Or do I try to justify it in my own mind depending upon what it is that I think I know better than what God said? Is it because I am holding too tightly onto something I prefer rather than God says it is forbidden? How do we look? How do we hear the word of our God? Do we know God's word? Do we know that which we are to follow and to obey? Because we are spending time in the Holy Bible, because we are spending time in God's Word, because we are sitting under the authority of God's Word so that we can learn it, so that we can obey it, so that we can worship God. For God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And how can we obey and worship him if we do not know them? We cannot. Therefore, we must read and learn and know so we can worship and obey. Because God is God. And we should obey because God says so. This was a sin, the very first sin in the world of Adam and Eve. They did not obey God simply because he said so. Yes, they listened to another voice besides the voice of God. Yes, they listened to this voice connive and twist and malign the commandment of God by using half-truths of what God said and coaxing them to believe something than other than what God said. They chose to believe a snake instead of the word of God. They, didn't, they did not obey God because God says so. 
God said, you can eat from all of these trees and plants and bushes in this massive, lavish Garden of Eden. From this one tree, you must not eat. And that was it. Such an abundance and such a provision, I believe, has never been known on this earth from what Adam and Eve stood in that garden before sin and experienced. And perhaps we see in that just a foreshadowing of what awaits us in heaven with God when we're with him forever in lavish and abundance. But they chose to believe a lie because they got bogged down in what they wanted and what they wanted to believe instead of what God said. Besides the first point, why circumcision? There's multiple different things from my research. I would say, in simplicity, this is setting apart the people of God. Now, let's extrapolate that a little bit. The Greeks and the Romans heavily idolized the physical body. This was very heavily idolized as you research it and you study it. So much so that they took the concept of a body being one's temple to a whole nother level. It, it really was idolatry. And therefore, your physical prowess and your physical sculpture and the shape of your muscles, your individual muscles and everything, it was very articulated to present almost physical perfection in the way that they pursued this to a very pagan end. And therefore, when the men competed in gymnastics or competed in physical competitions, they competed naked. They didn't have clothing on. They didn't have anything on. And this was part of their culture and part of their time. And part of that was to showcase the body as the idolatrous temple, I will say, in every respect. God said, I want to set the people of God, the men of God that I've called to lead the women in their lives, in their family, in their culture, as servant leaders. I want to set them apart from those who would idolize the body. And therefore, circumcision. This would be a mark or a sign of faith, of the setting apart, of being holy as I am holy. God says, I am holy, therefore be holy in all you do. Be holy as I am holy. There is this setting apart, there is this distinction just another way. Well, it's not just, this is specifically another way that the people of God would be distinct from 
all of the other pagan cultures and pagan nations and pagan peoples around them in the world, specifically for the people of God, specifically for the men. Men are to be servant leaders. Men are to be shepherds of the people of God. Men have a greater responsibility before the Lord like Adam did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Eve was tempted by the serpent. Eve took of the fruit and she gave some to her husband, which scripture says who was right there. So Adam was also there. It talks about Eve first because she is the one who responded first, but Adam was right there. And did he act responsibly? Did he say, no, Eve, this serpent is lying to you. That is not what God said. We are not going to partake of that fruit. Put that down. Do not touch it or you will die like God said. No, he did not. He also was tempted, partook of the fruit, just like Eve. And then their eyes were open and they were ashamed, Scripture says. It is the call of men to be servant leaders, I will say, as Christ exemplified to us his servant leadership to the church. He came to earth in obedience to God the Father, but he lived humbly and sacrificially for the benefit of the believers. And we are to live the same way for our wives and for our children as servant leaders. And therefore, I think God instructs the men to be circumcised. And he says, I don't want you to be like the other nations around you. I don't want you to be like the people of Ur of the Chaldeans, Abraham, where I've called you out of. You know, those lands and those territories where I've led you through on your journey to Canaan. I don't want you to be like them. I'm calling you to be holy as I am holy. I am calling you to be set apart as I am set apart from this world. And along with circumcision, it's going to be painful. It's going to be very personal, obviously, because of the physical location on the body. And there's so much in, there's so many other aspects and ideas on this and, and analogies of what that could represent. But it's going to take a humility to believe God and do this. Abraham was 99 years old. It says in chapter 17, verse 1, 99 years old when God called him to circumcision as a sign of their existing covenant. God already had a covenant with Abraham. And he says, you are not only an adult male, you are 99 years old, and I'm calling you to circumcision. Pain, personal nature, humility. 
and it is all going to be affirmed by Abraham's faith in God. So for all of the adults, let's look at this here. In the text, there is a distinction. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 11, verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. There are two markers there. For the adults, this is a self-affirmation in obedience of faith for Abraham. He is doing this out of his faith because God says so. God says this is a sign of the covenant. This is what I am instructing you to do. And anyone who now is a male of your household in this line of your offspring who does not do it is cut off from the covenant. That's a requirement, folks. God is making a mandate now with the covenant. He's saying this is going to be a sign. This will be a mark of the covenant for every male in your line, Abraham. So for every adult male, this is a sign of faith. But there's another distinction. Each male born in the household will be circumcised at eight days old. This is before faith. This is before you've heard the age of accountability, which I do not designate as a specific age because the age of accountability is when you're old enough to know God, to understand his scripture, to understand God, even by story, even by the oral tradition. If you can understand that God created all things, and that God created mankind in his image and after his likeness to be his representatives in this world and to have a personal relationship with him and to love other people and to believe that Jesus came to earth to die on a cross for your sins and to be resurrected to the right hand of God the Father. That is the age of accountability. And therefore, now you have an opportunity for faith in God or to turn your back on God. And this is the opportunity he gives to each person on earth. So for the child who will be circumcised at eight days, obviously that is before they know God. I see this as the action is an action of faith by the father, by the parents, as an affirmation of God's call to covenant for the family line. You see that? Okay, so this is not, it's like, 
Well, it's not totally indifferent of baby baptism. Baby baptism is not believer's baptism. It does not, because the baby is too young to know God, to have a personal relationship with God, to have that accountability where you understand God and you, and you, you converse in a personal, repentant, believing conversation with the Lord, believing in Jesus Christ. No, this can be a prayer of dedication an action of dedication saying, Lord, I am dedicating this child to you. And I am doing this. Why? This goes back to the first point. Why at eight days old would you circumcise your sons? Because God said so to Abraham. And because he said that any male who is not circumcised on the eighth day will be cut off. From the covenant. So, this is an action of faith. This is an action of faith in the covenant of God and saying that, yes, God, I believe you. This is Abraham. Yes, God, I believe you. Therefore, I'm going to circumcise myself. I'm going to circumcise every adult male in my household. And it says, direct descendants, as well as we're talking about bond servants here and other people in his household. Why? Because God is establishing his covenant with Abraham's household. All of the men in his household. And the men in this to be servant leaders in the covenant. What did he say at the very first part of today's section. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. God is concerned with the keeping of the covenant. And what is the covenant? It's the personal relationship. It's a relationship between us and God that says, you are God. And I am your child. You are God and we are your people. And we want to be faithful to you, O God. And we believe your scripture and we believe Genesis 1, and the order of creation as it is written. Because the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord. And we believe the flood, and that you saved Noah, and that all perished but eight. Because this is the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord. And that we believe, O oh God, that you are a God of law and a God of order and a God of covenants. And that the God of covenants wants to be with your people. And we, your people, oh God, want to be with our God. The mark of circumcision, the action for the adults was confirmation of one's faith. The book of James says in chapter 2, verse 17, 
that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You may have also read this in a different translation, that faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So in this sense, we can equate the word works with action. Later in chapter 2 of James, in verse 26, it says, As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, you cannot just have faith without connecting it to every other aspect in your life. God called Abram out from this pagan world out from the wilderness and into the personal relationship with him to live differently than the world, to live in distinction apart from the world and in holiness to God. Because God has a plan, because God has a purpose, because God, the creator of all things, knows that which truly brings joy and love and peace and excitement and energy and truth. And he also therefore knows that which deceives and dissents and destroys. And he wants to save his people from that needless heartache and that needless sadness. Notice I did not say in this world, following God, you would not have heartache and sadness. You will, because God never promises that we will not have those things. But with God, we are following the one who will lead us in the way of peace and lead us in the way of love, lead us in the way of righteousness, lead us in the way of joy. Because he created that. He created all of those. So today, as we call ourselves Christians, in that title, in that name, of Christ, or in Christ, or exemplifying Christ, it is because we have the name Christian, then, that we must not only be hearers of the word, or speakers of the word, but also doers of the word. For as James, the brother of Jesus, said in chapter 1, verse 22, in the book of James, faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. We must be connected to God for life. And we must be living it out in our lives or the name Christian, the word Christian will not be represented in this world. Jesus came to earth and he exemplified perfectly what it is to be someone who gives glory to God, what it is to be a human being on this earth for a lifetime giving glory to God. And now we take his name on us as Christians. And the call before us is to do just that. In glory to our Savior Jesus Christ, 
and in honor to God the Father. Let's pray. The God who knows all things and the God who sees all things perfectly, clearly, sharply, decisively. Let us, Lord, like Abraham, let us respond in faith. When we are given a commandment by you, when we are given a charge by you, when we are given the law by you, may we respond in faith. Because you said so. Let it be simply because you said so, and this is the affirmation of our faith. And may we lead our families, lead our wives and lead our children in faith. And perhaps our children who are so young that they still don't have minds developed enough to understand you and your word, let us teach them and let us pray for them and let us create a culture at home that exemplifies the nature of our God so that we can raise them in a home that believes in you and trusts in you, depends on you and gives glory to you alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our savior, amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 17.